welcome in to another PGA Draftcast. You'll know something a little bit different today, just me and Spence on the screen. Joel, unfortunately, combination of, I think, maybe a little bit of an excuse, power cuts, generators, few winter storms coming through in the States, probably running in fear a little bit as well with how well the draft went for some of us this week and sort of behavior we've seen before and officially spends the first WD of the season, unsurprisingly, comes from Joel. I mean, I think that's been the natural progression that we've seen. So, you know, I tried to make a trade with him. I offered all the picks to, you know, he would have had a different draft at the end of the day, but I think it was a very quality first week. A lot of players that we talked about made runs at, towards the top of the leaderboard. Your card, we talked about this a little bit off air. Your card was obviously very strong from top to bottom. Very slight profit for me last week in all markets that I was in. So very good start for the Win Daily team. And um, unfortunately, I guess Joel has decided to not make it tonight. Yeah, I, I think probably as well, just a disappointment over the, the draft uh, exchange trade going on. Um, perhaps not going ahead. Some disappointment there from Joel, and uh, he's uh, thrown his toys, and he's not here. Some sort of excuse about a power cut in a winter storm. I don't know if I'll buy it, but um, some big storms happening in, in the Sony Open this week as well. There's been a lot of footage, obviously, of the weather over in Hawaii, so we hope everyone there is safe and um, keeping out of um, trouble. I've seen some pretty wild footage, um, which you can find on my Twitter, of some storms and people trying to play the Monday qualifying, which has been... Uh, but nuts. But if you're over on uh, Wind Daily and read our free preview, actually, before all of that footage came out, we were already predicting that there was going to be some really heavy rain the beginning of this week. There was thunderstorms predicted. And um, it's going to make for an interesting tournament. You know, it'll be interesting to see how that affects the course. For me, all of that rain is going to mean it's going to be really difficult to firm out the course. Those greens are going to play a lot softer. And they're, they're pretty large greens here, 7,000 square foot. So, um, typically around the green gets a big uptick here. And I just wonder whether putting perhaps actually takes a bit of an uptick as well with softer greens. People are going to be finding more surfaces, hopefully. And um, you're going to make some putts this week. Yeah, I think when you look at this venue from top to bottom, it's about as different as you can get from Kapalua last week. You have wide open feel last week with the undulation of the property here. You're going to get a much narrower fairway. The flat nature of the grounds is going to help like the... There's a reason, David, why I think when you look at predictive nature of rollover success of venue, like Augusta National would be the most predictive course. This is the second most predictive venue. When you have that answer of predictive nature that comes into play, there has to be something that is asked to players over and over again. And that's what we see here. 125 to 200 yards, that's going to be the critical range. 67% of the total shots come from there over a 12% increase in importance versus a typical test. I did think that the hard to hit fairways had me ever so slightly flip that new school moniker of distance over accuracy. It's going to be interesting with the wet conditions here. I might end up pushing it a little bit closer because I'm not necessarily under the belief that you can't bomb and gouge out here a little bit. It's a tree line property. You clearly don't want to get yourself boxed out in any of those situations, but there's a lot of different ways that you can find success here. So for me, I think it's the players that can propel themselves up the leaderboard from 125 to 200 yards. I also think that putting is very important here and maybe even more important now because of the rain. So it's about as much putting weight that I have ever attached to a model. Um, I'm going to make a little slight change because I originally had it to have average to fast conditions. I think now it's going to be more of the average to potentially slow if this is a really soft condition uh, greens there, but uh, it's going to be a fun tournament. There's definitely all the ownership seems to be condensing in the same spot. So from a DFS answer, there's a lot of different ways that we can try to extrapolate that out to either figure out what the optimal game theory strategy is for the contest and what players we want to get exposure to or what players we don't. And I think there's going to be answers that both of us give on this show to where I might be out on a golfer, even if I really like their potential, but just because the ownership is too high. And I think that's kind of where you find your edges in DFS golf is that you have to pick and choose and kind of find those positions where you're going to be more aggressive than other people will be. Yeah, look, I think that's that's precisely right. And it, it comes down to contest selection a lot of the time, right? You really need to have a bit of strategy going into what sort of contest you're, you're entering and what you need from that lineup. 
I think particularly in cash lineups, right, you're, you're spot on. There, there's very obvious evidence of the driving accuracy being a big predictor about to run the green and, and putting, and you're probably going to want to stick pretty close to that narrative. But then in those GPP contests, you know, you might want to get a little bit different and take some of those bombers because the simple fact is there's so much data now in the world of DFS and golf, and there's a lot of people putting out really good information um, on those exact statistics. So if we're all looking at the same information and coming to the same conclusions, that's where we get that ownership conden condensing, like you've said. And it's not going to be unheard of that you find someone like, you know, maybe Will Zalatoris is like incredibly healthy and just comes out and plays really well. I mean, he's a, a elite golfer and if he was healthy, he'd be easily within the top 10 in the world. Um, and who's going to be playing him this week? Hardly anyone from what I'm looking at. So there are places where you can get different. And if you are prepared to take a bit of risks, get a bit uncomfortable, dive into some of those lower ownership numbers, you can get some really big leverage. And that's really how you go out and spike some of these big GPPs. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it all comes down to contest selection at the end of the day. The less amount of people that are in a contest, the more conservative, the more with the grain you can go, the more people that enter the contest, the more against the grain that you want to go. So uh, those are answers that we'll talk about as this show progresses. But I think it does make for very interesting conversation, if nothing else. For sure. I'm like... Look, this this course is as polar opposite to last week as you could possibly get. Uh, Century, the plantation course at Kapalua is the third longest course on the PGA Tour. This is the fifth shortest course. And, um, you know, there was a bit of chat in the, the Wind Daily um, Discord about trends, and you'll see a lot about trends this week. I think more about trends this week than perhaps any other. Maybe Augusta enters that conversation as well of, like, you know, the past seven winners have all done X, Y, Z. And this week it is, you know, the past eight of the 11 winners or whatever it is have played the century the week prior. And you'll see that trend everywhere this week. Um, if you haven't already, um, go check golf Twitter and basically anyone you follow is going to be tweeting those trends. And just my advice to people would be take that with a big grain of salt because the century tournament of champions is by its nature the best golfers of the PGA Tour. They've all previously previous iterations they've all won on the pga tour the year before or in this case they've made the the top 50 in the the fedex cup uh playoff standings as well so naturally they're going to be the best golfers so unsurprisingly when they come to the sony open and what has typically been a weak field we've actually got a very strong field this week which i think is really exciting but it's typically been a very weak field uh the best golfers come here and they've been favorites and unsurprisingly they've done quite well so Always um, pays to, to double-check the uh, the consciousness when it comes to some of those trends about what's what's really happening here and what's the reason behind it. So do take that into account when you're building your lineups this week as well. I'll see, I've seen a lot of people who are just like, I will not pay any golfers who have not played the century before. And I think that's very narrow-minded um, and not going to lead to the greatest results for you. But obviously last week, it was a massive week on the PGA Draftcast. We hit uh, Sahith. Tagala 60 to 1 first round first tournament of the season um coming out and hitting a massive winner which was awesome uh in terms of our golf betting tips we had uh second third fifth 12th basically everyone other than Chris Kirk was in our, our betting tips over at Win Daily last week so we had 25 units in and returned 60 units of profit sitting at a return of investment of 140%. So I did consider retiring after the first tournament just to keep that impeccable record for the rest of the year and um, thought uh, it was better to come back and, and give some people some more previews. So it was a fantastic week. It's going to be another massive week this week as well. We'll have all those first round leaders for you free at the end of this. And if you do want to jump into the Win Daily Premium, get access to all of those golf betting tips. There's a promo link still running in the description. It's probably going to end in the next couple of weeks. I will give you that warning. So it is our best deal ever guaranteed for this entire year. So make sense. Jump in early. Make sure that you're riding with us throughout 2024 and getting your picks in. But without further ado, we'll bring up the draft board and Spence, should we decide on a draft order? How would you like to do this? Uh, you won last week. You can you can pick the order for us. Okay. Well, in that case, I will take the first pick quite happily. Um, I will put yourself in second and we'll go to the audience third. So with that, I'm on the clock and um, 
I am going to go with a bit of high ownership um, to kick off, but a golfer that I really like this week is um, Corey Connors. As you mentioned, past um, past course form is extremely predictive of future success at Wailai. In fact, the second most correlated outside Augusta National, as you mentioned. So Augusta National, we obviously know there's a huge trend between having played it previously and then um, having future success there. This is the second most correlated. Well, Corey Connor's record here is basically impeccable. He was a 39th on debut. After that, he's finished 3rd, 19th, 12th, 11th, 18th, 12th. So he's got a really excellent record around this course. And for me, it makes sense. His driving accuracy is obviously a huge asset to the game. His approach play is fantastic. Um, if the greens are going to be a bit slower this week as well, I think that's a real a real positive for him and um, hopefully he can make some putts and finish towards the top of the leaper. Yeah, that was one of the things in my model. Like really the only piece of data that pushed him down is when I originally ran this to be average to fast green. So I think if it can go to that slow to average speed, that does give his ball striking a massive improvement. And there's we keep saying this, there's a lot of golfers in that $9,000 section that are going to be very popular. At no point in that discussion does it mean that you cannot play them, even if you are in a tournament that has thousands, tens of thousands of people in it. You just have to be cognizant of ownership and what your aggregated ownership percentage is at the end of the day. So um, I think Connors is one of those names in that section that makes a lot of sense. I think that there's probably three or four additional names, and uh, I will get to one that'll be, I guess I'll push us forward in the draft. Uh, just make it simple yeah. here. Um so to me, there is one golfer, and this is a little bit against the grain. Not that this guy is coming in necessarily under the radar, but it was the biggest difference that I had in my model of any of these games from their projected win equity and when they were priced. And that's going to be Brian Harmon at 9,900. I'm completely fine paying up at that number. Like I do think that he should have been priced in that, in that position there. Uh, third place in my model for weighted scoring. That's going to give me the upside that I wanted to see. He also had an additional top five mark for weighted strokes gain total. Uh, it kind of just comes down to where I don't want to start rattling off all the names, but if you want to compare them to a lot of those $9,000 golfers, I think it's very close. I just thought that that was the one that made the most sense from a leverage standpoint, specifically when he was the second projected favorite in my model from a win equity standpoint. For sure. I mean, look, Brian Harmon looked great last week. Like he played really well and Plantation is not a course that should suit Brian Harmon's game necessarily. He's not the longest off the tee. He's obviously extremely accurate. That's a very long golf course. Of course, everyone's averaging huge drives because of the elevation changes at, at the century and it perhaps takes the driver out of hand a little bit, but um, his, his putter was excellent. The approach play was amazing. Uh, driving actually was great. It's a great combination for him. My only misgiving with Harmon, and, and, and I wrote about this in my preview this week, is a little bit of a concern about the fact that he's never really shown up here. I mean, he had a fourth year in 2018, and outside of that, he's kind of, you know, been pretty average, like in the top 30s, top 40s, but never really getting into the top 25s, top 10s, which for that price point, you'd kind of want. Do you hold any concerns there? I understand where you're coming from with that answer. I like you would want better course form for a golfer that's 9,900. And it's not like he's carrying 0% ownership. Like I still see him between the 12 to 15% range, but I don't necessarily have any of the downside answers. Like, I mean, you talked about the very upside of what he's put together. The last four performances inside of making the cut, uh, two of those inside the top 35. I, I do think that he's a different golfer after winning a major championship. I do think that the short game that you would expect to find success here might be able to be something that pops. He's going to have to hit his irons well, but if he does, I, I do think if we're looking at this board, there's probably four or five names that at least were like the most, that at least had the highest win equity for me. He was the one of that group that wasn't going to be 20% plus zone for the most part. So I think he is a nice spot to get different. For sure. I, I think that's that's really fair. I have him at projected at 18 and a half at the moment. So, um, and there's some popular names around him, which I do think are going to be more popular that are either slightly cheaper or slightly more expensive. So um, I think that's a really fair point. And it actually kind of reminds me of um, the Worldwide Technology Championship in Mayakoba, Al Camillion, 
really correlated to this course here. Um, six winners have done both. So they've won at, at Mayakoba and they've won the, at Wailai as well. Brian Harmon was second last year behind Russell Henley there. And again, that was kind of a course where he never actually played very well at all and then suddenly showed up. And I remember speaking at the time, I was kind of kicking myself because I spoke at the time about how it was a golf course that looked perfect for Brian Harmon. And he just like never showing up um, and, and played well. And then he did. So, um, yeah, I don't mind that play there whatsoever. Looks like we've got the first chat. We've got Zach Jeffers confirming Ben Griffin. I'm assuming it's Ben Griffin, not Lando Griffin. Um, I'll just make that assumption there for the audience. Yeah, what's your, your thoughts of Ben Griffin this week? I, I've given this answer on a couple shows. So if anybody's listened to those, I don't think this answer is going to necessarily come as a shock. But when I view a golfer that's in that mid to lower $7,000 range and my model seems to have trouble in the potential upside that they can possess for a contest, I always worry a little bit. The safety numbers for me placed him inside the top 25. Some of those upside data points that I was looking for had him outside of the top 40. I do know he had a 12th place finish here last year, close 2023 strong, but I, I thought there were better upside potential candidates for the ownership that you're going to have to get for Ben Griffin there. So I'm probably out. I think he kind of makes more sense to me as a cash game play. If I was going to go that route, I also think that there may be a little bit more volatility though, even with that answer being said, than meets the eye, just because some of the data points for me were not exactly where I wanted them to be. The putting is going to be great. Some of the other areas when we look specifically at his weighted scoring or any of that extra emphasis that I placed from 125 to 200 yards, that worries me ever so slightly. Yeah, I think that that's fair. Um, I, I do really like the fact he's played here once and finished 12th. I think yeah. any time a golfer can come out and play a golf course one time and and have a really good finish like that, especially a golfer of the caliber of Ben Griffin, like like let's be honest, we're not talking about like Matt Fitzpatrick here. Um, if you can show up and spike a, a victory or a top 20, sorry, for a tournament like that is really impressive on debut. I like the fact as well, I was eighth at the RSM Classic as well. So um, that's a pretty correlated course at Seaside, obviously coastal, narrow kind of fit, very similar metrics. There's, there's a lot of correlations between the two. And then um, looks like the audience have gone uh, the past champs. See, we came with their, their other pick. Will you be playing Seaweed this week? I like the Siwoo Kim play more. I, I, like if we look at directly what we need to do to find success, I think you either need to pop with your irons. And we saw him do that last year when he gained over eight strokes with that portion of his game. You look at the putter, he was able to produce, I believe about a stroke around. So top five in my model between 125 to 200 yards, it's going to come down to can he make putts, but Historically, when you throw him on similar venues, he pops in my model. I think that the upside's there. It's just, it's going to come down to the putter at the end of the day. But one of the intriguing things about him for me, at least, was I don't see, and I don't know where you currently have him, David, but I don't have a ton of ownership around him. So I do think he makes sense as a GPP target. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I, I have him at 14%, which in the $8,000 range is, is second highest, but there's a ton of ownership, I think, going into the 9K range. And mm -hmm. I mean, this is this is often Sia's answer. You know, we know that Sia loves an $8,000 range just because you can get some ownership spots and it makes building the lineup a little bit more tricky, perhaps, compared to other routes that you can go. And I mean, clearly he likes the place. I mean, he won here last year. Um, in terms of the, the putter, as we mentioned, perhaps slower greens makes putting a little bit easier. Um, but he won here last year. He has a fourth here as well. So I don't mind the play, uh, the play at all. And, and to be honest, I'm, I'm kind of similar boat. I'm a little bit surprised that the ownership isn't higher given the fact that he won here last year. I would have perhaps expected a little bit more, maybe like 18%. So we'll see how that develops across the week. Make sure that you're in win daily. Use the promo link in the description um, to get 24 for $240. It's usually $450, so it's a good, good saving there. And uh, we've got one of the best ownership projections masters in the game and Stephen Pilati, who will be in there dropping his ownership projections later in the week. With that, Spence, you are on the clock. You mentioned the RSM Classic as a course that you might want to look into. I'm going to take a former winner of that tournament here in Adam Spenson at 7700 
He's going to be very popular. And I know that goes against a lot of what I've been talking about of the $7,000 options that become chalk of where you might want to be careful. But 12 consecutive made cuts inside the top 11 of my model when you take comp courses on these short par 70s. Also inside the top 15 for me when you look at off the tee approach plus putting. Think that when I am trying to find win equity in this tournament, I am trying to find players that are able to make a putt. It doesn't mean that Adam Spenson is a world-class putter, but inside of the top 50 in this field, I do think he has the spike potential that I was talking about with Siwoo Kim. So I just thought he was too cheap at the end of the day. You could have made this $8,700, and that would have been more of the proper going rate that my model had for him. So I'm just going to take the price discount that I do believe we have here with him at 7700 yeah, I think that's a that's a really savvy pick. Um, I've seen a little bit of Adam Spencer this week, but I do think that there's a lot of names in that 7K range that people are going to be gravitating to. Um, Andrew Putnam, Brenda Todd, for example, Miliana Grios right there. Keegan Bradley's going to be popular. Justin Rose will track some ownership given his, co- his course history here. So um, Adam Svensson could well end up being one of the lower owned in that range. And um, as you mentioned, he's got a, a great record. The game looks like it would really suit. So um, I kind of love that player. I think that's uh, a very potential person who would be ending up in my DFS pool for this tournament. All right, coming around to me again, I'm going to go up and grab some more talk just simply because this guy's record at this golf course is far too good for me to ignore and leave him on the board any much further than, than this. So that'll be Russell Henley. I mean, Russell Henley had such a big 2023 that I think uh, where he's priced in both the odds market and in DFS is a little astounding for me. I think he's one of the high, the lowest rated golfers or underrated golfers in the world of golf right now. Data Golf have him ranked 16th in the world. I mean, just put that in perspective. He's playing at an incredible level. Um, past championship champion, obviously, at Al Camillion and won here on debut in his first ever PGA Tour start. Um, we already spoke about the links between Al Camillion and success here. So he's already got that um, tick and um, was second here in 2022. 13th most recently at the RSM Classic. So he just ticks so many boxes for me. Um, the Sony Open record's pretty impeccable, really. And um, I can't can't really ignore his numbers from 150, 200 yards as well. He's third in this field for approach within that metric. So for me, he's arriving here as a far better golfer than he has been previously. And you're getting the same odds as you were last year at 25 to 1. So he seems really good value for me. What, what say you on Russell Henley? I think you've touched on most of the points. I don't want to spend too much longer on it. I think he's the epitome of good chalk. Um, I had some trepidation on, and and if you look around the space, he has become the favorite at some books. Um, I think some of those numbers worry me a little bit. Once we start talking about sub 20 to one to actually win this golf tournament, if you got him at 25 to one, when he opened, that was probably where the value was. I think you're starting to miss the boat a little bit now, but uh, Henley was a top five projected win equity candidate for me. And uh, depending on how exactly I run this, like I can get him up to third in my model there. So I think he's a great course fit. I think he's in potentially for a big 2024. And you kind of touched on that, David, like you look at data golf, they believe he's a top 20 player. My model believes he's a top 20 player. It seems like your numbers are probably in agreement with that. So I just think you have a player where specifically here, people are going to like him, but I, I think he's a name to also keep an eye on throughout all of this season because there probably is more upside potential than a lot of people want to give him credit for just because of his inability to close golf tournaments I guess we will say for sure yeah I, I completely agree with uh with everything there and and yeah I love love him this year I think he's gonna have a very very big 2024 um I'm again gonna take a little bit of ownership here but I promise you I'm gonna be getting different with my last few picks um so I know that I'm gonna get some leverage coming up but I will take Andrew Putnam here off the board in the $7,000 range. I have him about 12% on, and to be honest, he's, he for me, shows as the most undervalued player on the board this week, so I actually would have expected him to be higher than, say, around the 12 13% I'm seeing projected at the moment. Obviously, his record here is excellent. He was a runner-up here in 2019. He was a fourth in 2023, um, so he's got an excellent record here. Again, just that combination that I'm really looking for this week of driving accuracy, approach, putting, um, you know, Andrew Putnam, always be Putnam, and that's what we're going to need from him this week at the Sunny Open. So I think um, we probably don't need to say too much more about Andrew Putnam. I think we're both in agreement that he's a 
pretty obvious choice here this week. A um, little bit concerned with the ownership base. I said I'll be getting different. And with that, unless you want to say anything about Putnam before we roll to your pick, um, you're on the clock. No, I like Putnam this week. I don't have a problem with that. Um, so for me, there are some really intriguing spots from a game theory perspective to try to get unique. And I am curious to see if ownership deviates away from this answer over the next 24 plus hours. But you know, we have harped on this point over and over again that the $9,000 section is where you are just getting this compounded nature of ownership over and over and over again. And I think when that happens, the $8,000 range takes a bit of a hit where people don't play that section as much. And the $10,000 section also doesn't necessarily get played as much. And I know that the narrative around this player is this might not be the best course fit for him for whatever reason that you want to talk about. And he didn't necessarily provide the result that people wanted to see last week coming outside of the top 40 at the century. But I am a big believer in Ludwig Ober, number one in my model and projected win equity this week. Like I, I do think he is the deserving favorite. If you're telling me and you can tell me what you have him ownership wise, David, but I don't have them that much above 10% right now. Like I've seen anywhere between 10 to 14% is kind of the range that it seems to be out there in the space. The aggregated total for me puts them at about 12% when everything is, uh, when push comes to shove on that, but substantially number one in my model and expected strokes gain total number one in my model, substantially when we look at weighted scoring potential here, like on all the areas where he popped, he popped so much higher than everybody else. And even if you want to talk about the driving and maybe he loses some of his distance ability, which, you know, soft conditions out there, maybe the distance plays a little bit more also on it, but also even without that being extra weight for distance, number one in my model for total driving. So uh, I think he's the best player in this field. I think if you would have had a performance from him last week, that would have been better than outside the top 40. We could have been looking at him as like a 12 to one golfer in this field. So I didn't get there in the outright market. I do think it's a very intriguing route to go, but for DraftKings contest, this is a ideal leverage spot. Yeah, I think that's really fair. I mean, audience, you're on the clock, so start getting your nominations in, but I'll talk about Ludwig for for a little bit. Um, obviously, we saw a little bit of rust from him in, in the first couple of rounds, but he really kind of came out right as the, the tournament went on, and he had a, a really good final round, so that's going to give him a lot of confidence. And yeah, I think you agree. I, I agree that a lot of people are just going to make the decision that this isn't necessarily the, the best course fit for him, but then would we have said that Seaside and the RSM Classic was a really good course fit for Livig? Probably not. I mean, he went out and won that, right? So, and that's a, a course that is highly correlated to to here. We obviously haven't had the opportunity to see him play Wildlife, so we haven't got any of that data. Um, I agree the $9,000 range, like it feels, does feel like a kind of week where a lot of people got to go that balanced build, right? Like it, it's pretty easy to do a balanced build and it's probably where the majority of people are going to go this week. So if you can go a little bit different, kind of start how you have here with not only someone in the high 9,000s, but also the, the highest place golfer on the slate, you're going to be forced to get uncomfortable a little bit and go further down the board later in your selections. And because of that, you're kind of naturally, I think, going to be different this week. So don't mind that whatsoever. Have we got a selection? Does it look like Nick Taylor, Brent, and the one and only Sienna Jard from um, CBS Sports? Yeah, looks like Nick Taylor. Locked in, confirmed. Yeah, I, I really like Nick Taylor this week. Obviously, um, the iconic victory at the Canadian Open, breaking breaking the drought for the Canadians. Um, we were on him that week. I believe it was um, 80 to 1 that we had for him at the Canadian Open. Oakdale was a really interesting course in terms of, I do think it'll play very similar to here, driving actually very heavy, a lot of wedges um, and really kind of suited his game in terms of that well-rounded nature that he brings. He's got an excellent short game, very good putter on his day, driving actually good and, and one of the best um, on tour with his um, short irons as well. So I do really like that there. Just need to see if we've got a second. Uh, Benny Ahn. Benny Ahn is your next selection. I'm personally out on Benny Ahn this week. I don't know if it's necessarily the best spot for him. And when I'm seeing kind of 16% ownership, 
at a course I don't think is necessarily the best fit for him. I think a lot of that's coming from his performance at the century last week. I think I'm probably a fade on Benny, but will you be playing him this week? It's tough, David. Um, Safety ratings in my model, regardless of what that answer would be, loved him. So I'm kind of intrigued and and I'm kind of intrigued by both of the picks that the audience made. I, I think Ben on is a player this year that we saw it last week at the century where he opens in the one fifties and he immediately gets back bet down into the hundreds. And and I do think that the century was a better course fit for him than he's going to get here. But no matter how I build my model and when I was trying to do season long drafts and trying to figure out where I thought players were compared to all their competitors, there really wasn't a way I could build it where Ben on wasn't a top 30 player for me this year. So um, if that is something that my model believes is the case, even if this is a situation where I might be a little bit lower on him here than I would at other courses, I think he's an intriguing name to just keep an eye on over the first couple months of the season, because I tend to think his upside might be a little bit higher than the general public does. Maybe not here if all the ownership's going to go there, but uh, I don't have a problem doing that. What, what projected ownership do you have him at this week? And, and is there an ownership level where for you he becomes unplayable? I'm at 15% right now. I mean, I, I do think if you put him at like the 20% plus range, I will go and play somebody else. There's enough value to be found in that section to where if you're like directly comparing Siwoo Kim and Ben on and, and in this particular situation, the audience has both of those two names, but I would probably rather play Siwoo Kim and create leverage that way. But I think Siwoo and Ben on together make a lot of sense for one guy that's going to be a little bit under-owned and one guy that's going to be a little over-owned. Yeah, for sure. I, I think for me, I'd rather go, I, I personally would rather go down, say, 400 and go to like a Harris English, who for me, I'm only getting like a 12% ownership. I think that the course fits him a bit better than it does for Benny Yarn. And even if you end up leaving $400 on the table, that's not necessarily the worst way to to get a bit different. But yeah, I think, um, yeah, for me, probably out on Benny Yarn, but um, we'll see uh, whether the, the chalk uh, gets it right when it comes to Benny Yarn. Um, speaking of the Canadian Open, it flows in nicely, segues to my next pick, which is Zach Blair, all the way down at the lowly 6200s. We tipped him last year at the RBC Canadian Open in 2023. He was 1,000 to 1 starting that tournament. He unfortunately withdrew with a minor injury just before the tournament started. He went out at his next start, Travelers Championship, 1,500 to 1. He finished second that week behind Keegan Bradley. Um, on a place bet for your top eight, you were getting 300 to 1 just for him finishing in the top eight that week. And uh, for me, that's a really good comparison to TPC River Highlands. Driving accuracy wedges were very important there. We know that there are very good correlations between the two with Zach Blair. Also, look what Zach Blair did here. Zach Blair had a 2020 injury, which um, put him out of golf for about 18 months. He arrived back, had five consecutive top 35, finished 12th at the Fortinet. Before the injury, he played here in two starts. He finished sixth and third. So he's had very good success in Wildlife in his first two looks on this golf course. You're getting a golfer at 6,200, which for me goes under the radar a lot. Going to give me that ownership leverage that I need and, He's had some very good course history here. I think he'd take a lot of confidence from finishing second in a designated event. And I think it's a, a very different play that you can get to this week at, at some pretty big odds. Well, I let you keep firing on that because you were adding a lot of great points to the mix. And, and I do think Zach Blair is one of the better values on the board. But am I still sitting here right now? Because my pick has been completely skipped. Uh, I haven't seen it come through, but I'll try and put it in for you if you need. Well, I haven't, I mean, I haven't even made a selection and all of a sudden it got skipped with uh, you taking Zach Blair. Uh, Is it? Yeah. But that's, that's fine. That's This is a huge opportunity for you to really pull the rug out from under my feet. And I apologize profusely for for jumping ahead. I was so excited to take Zach Blair and thought the Canadian Open uh, link was a great way to segue to my own pick. Um, But if you take him here, I might cry. 
I'm a nice person, David. I'm not going to do that to you. I, I do genu genuinely believe, though, that if you're going down and you're trying to throw a dart down here at the bottom, like he's probably maybe the best name to do it with once you get below 6,500. So I think there's a lot of potential. I know that he opened at some books at 400 to one and has been bet down a little bit and think rightfully so there. Some of the proximity numbers look great, but I'm going to go with the golfer in the $7,000 range. And it's going to be, when you take him and Spenson, I think you're going to be looking at two golfers that might be the two most owned $7,000 golfers. And that's fine to me when I have the leverage that I've created up top, I believe with Harmon and Aubert, but I'm going to take Lucas Glover at 7,700 at his best. We saw him win back-to-back -back tournaments last year when he made some putts at his worst. There's some volatility that's going to come into play, but number one in my model in uh projected proximity from 125 to 200 yards. If he makes putts, I feel confident about this. If he doesn't like, you know, it is what it is at the end of the day, but uh, top 10 for me in weighted total driving. I think the ball striking numbers, should be good enough to make the cut here. So I don't know if there's as much volatility as my model seems to believe, but uh, I, I thought that if we're trying to actually find win equity here, I thought Glover was one of those names that actually possessed that. I completely agree. Uh, the ownership on Glover really intrigues me this week. I really want to see where the ownership goes. I think he's a really good play in GPP for the exact reasons he mentioned. He looked absolutely dreadful again with the putter last week, but We've seen that before from Lucas Glover, right? And it's, can he return to that putter that he had towards the end of last season when he just lit the world alight and became this kind of like cult hero for golf fans as he was just rattling off these back-to-back -back wins and huge events, um, both at the Wyndham and then at the FedEx St. Jude the week after. Wyndham's a very good comp to hear as well, so I don't mind that whatsoever. Um, yeah, for me, I think he's worth a dart for sure, in GPP plays. I don't know if you make my cash game lineup just because I don't have the confidence in that putter, given he was so bad with it last week. But I would we have seen putters just regress super quickly, um, especially at an event where perhaps the the greens might be a bit slower this week, given the rain forecast. So with that, I will um, skip my next pick because um, I've already made it. And thank you very kindly for ta not taking Zach Blair off me. Thank you as well for letting me go on a huge spiel about him while I completely um, missed your pick. That was great. Um, and then we'll go, uh, for me, my next selection would be Alex Norrin, who I think is playing a lot better than people are giving him credit for. I think he's a really interesting leverage opportunity. He's sandwiched in between Brendan Todd and Matt Kuchar on the draft board. Brendan Todd's going to be very popular. Matt Kuchar's got incredible course history here. There's a lot of other really popular names around him as well. Um, Adam Hadwin, for example, Keaton Bradley, just above him. I think Norrin is a really interesting leverage play there. Towards the end of last season, he played very, very well. He was third at the Shriners. Then he was second at the Bermuda Championship, another coastal tropical course. A lot of wind there, and we are seeing some wind coming in in the forecast now in, in terms of um, the weather as well. And then the RSM Classic, he was 23rd. Incredible putter, very, very good around the greens, extremely accurate off the tee as well. He's played at, at courses like TPC Sawgrass and played them very well, which is, again, another very tight course where driving accuracy is weighted really heavily. I think it's a, a spot where you can potentially um, get a bit of leverage with Alex Noren there. You don't need to convince me on Alex Noren. I try to do this every week when he's not even a course fit. So, you know, it's funny, David. We had a conversation when you came to Vegas and we watched the Shriners together. And one of the answers that I'd given you about Alex Noren is despite what the public perception is on him, when you throw him on some of these easier courses, my model actually seems to think that he experiences more upside than the general public does. So I agree with you. There's an intriguing leverage potential on him when you look at all the ownership that's around him. And uh, inside the top 10 of my model and projected scoring on an easy course. So uh, I don't think you even necessarily need that win equity here. And we haven't historically gotten that from him on the PGA tour, but at the price tag, if you could give me one of those top 20 finishes that he's kind of been churning out to end, to end the end of last year with the results he was putting together, uh, I think he's underpriced. I, I, if, if you would have circled this back to a year ago and you threw him in this field, I bet you he's probably like, 
For sure. Yeah, absolutely. And and the, the approach numbers, I'll just mention those as well, really popped for me as well. He's not the best over 200 yards, but from 200 to 150, 150 to 100, anything less than 100, he spikes really heavily. He's very, very good with his wedges as well. So I think that's going to be a strength for him here. Um, and you might see his name featured towards the end of the show. So Spencer, with that, your second to last pick, where are we looking? I wish I had the potential to take Nick Taylor here. I, I kind of feel like that's the boomer bust route that I would be looking to go. I'm probably going to go with somebody a little bit safer in my model, just because if I'm directly comparing him to the names around him, he's the only golfer for me that cracked the top 25. That was $7,000 or below for me. So I'm going to take Austin Eckrote back to back top 25 finishes to end last year, 12th place finish at this course in 2023. Total driving rings inside the top 10 for me. Uh, the weighted proximity, you could argue that maybe that's not exactly where you want to be for a player that ranks outside the top 60, but he does have an improvement here over his baseline. The ball striking numbers are always going to look really good. And, and, and I do think with the putting acumen that he brings inside of the top 45 of my model, he did get a negative decline for me when looking at average to fast Bermuda. I think when you slow this down a little bit to slower, he got ever so slightly better. So um, the safety rating was highly intriguing for a golfer that I see right now at sub 5%. So I, I think this is a spot where nobody's going to play him. There's some safety in my sheet. There's an overall rank that looks good. And there is a course history answer, which you kind of talked about. Like if you've at least given me one finish in the top 15, the one time you've played it, there's clearly something that you like the first time that you saw it for a venue that is highly predictive. I quietly really, really like that play. Um, I hadn't given Austin Necrote a ton of thought, if I'm absolutely honest. I mean, after all, it is Austin Necrote. The guy's only 24 as well, so bear that in mind. He's, he's pretty young when it comes to um, guys on the PGA Tour, but I do really like that play. The more I look at it, 4% ownership is what I'm seeing at the moment. Um, obviously, he had a stalling amateur career. He's seen as someone who can really um, take some big strides in 2024. There's a lot of expectation around him. And for me, it's the the course comps that actually are really jumping out for me. 2021, he was still an amateur, just comes onto the, the PGA Tour, finishes 12th at the Mayakoba, El Chameleon. As I mentioned, six players have won El Chameleon and Wildlife, so there's some very strong correlations between those two courses. Played here, finished 12th last year. He was 16th at Colonial, which is highly correlated, and then he was an 8th at the RSM Classic at Seaside. So he's really ticking a lot of boxes, and if you're getting 4% ownership, I think that's a really, really sharp play. Um, more of the same from you, Spencer. Love it. Audience. You are on the clock, and good on you for getting one of your picks already in. Harris English, who I already talked up, so I kind of led you to the water there. But, um, Spence, do you have anything to say on Harris English and his chances this week? I think he's fine at the price. I think you do get leverage of what you're, what you're looking at right now. Top 30 inside of my model, great historically at similar tracks and um, – you know, I guess has progressively gotten worse here since 2019. But I, I do think that when you're looking at an $8,000 range, which we keep talking about, like there's a lot of suppressed ownership to look at. I think Rose is going to be very popular. I think Ben on is going to be very popular. There are ways to try to get unique and different around them. And personally, I do like Justin Rose this week. Like I'm going to eat the chalk there and maybe I, it ends up blowing up in my face because he does have the potential to always go in the wrong direction. But when you look at guys like Siwoo Kim, um, Harris English, that's kind of the leverage spots that you're able to find upside at the price there. So I have no issues with that whatsoever. Yeah, completely agree. I, I was surprised that his ownership was where it was. I would have thought it was perhaps going to be a little bit higher given especially how he played in the third round last week. Like he was absolutely on fire with that incredible round um, down at the century. Um, if you like the trends, he played last week. So a lot of people will um, will be on him there. And it looks like Chris Kirk has just snuck in ahead of Vince Whaley. Um, I'm probably out on Chris Kirk just simply because I think he's going to be extremely, extremely popular after what he did last week. 
he looked so calm and cool under pressure last week and that's how we've seen him achieve both of his victories he's been really impressive i've certainly raised him in my own rankings and my expectations of output from chris kirk for the rest of the year i just think with the ownership for me chris kirk is going to be so popular great course history here played really really well last week um but look, I mean, he was in the heat of battle last week. It can be very exhausting being in that sort of situation. I just think, for me, there's perhaps other options I would rather deviate to, particularly with ownership. But, you know, it can go the other way, right? Like, a golfer wins and then everyone's like, well, he's not going to win next week as well, right? And then they suddenly end up off a guy because he won a golf tournament, which is kind of counterintuitive. What say you, Spence? Will you be playing Chris Kirk? I don't know. That's not a decision that I've necessarily made right now. I think if you look at Harmon, Connors, Henley, Kirk, Poston, you're going to have to pick and choose. You cannot play every single one of those names in that mix. I am playing Brian Harmon. I'm trying to figure out exactly where I want to wrap up my ownership there. Like if you were, I guess I'll fire a question back to you. Like if you were directly comparing, if you have to play one of these, if you were directly comparing Kirk versus, let's say JT Poston, is there a route that you would rather go between those two? I I currently have JT Poston actually higher owned than Chris Kirk, so I would probably go Chris Kirk in in such a circumstance, just because what he did last week was was incredible, and um, you know JT Poston's getting a lot of steam, and at the end of the day, it's still JT Poston, right? So yeah. um, I would perhaps go that route, but I think for me, I'm. I'm probably going with one of those chalk monsters that I kind of have with Corey Connors and Russell Kenley, who look like really good chalk for me. Avoid it on Kirk and then kind of go down a bit further down the board would be be my answer, I guess. So do like that play there. I, I think I'm probably out, but I can understand the merit to, to the selection for sure. Yeah, Spence, your final pick of the draft. We're making good time here. What is your section? Well, you got 7,200 left. Yeah, and I'm going to spend most of it here. I, I do worry a little bit that the player that I'm taking lost four and a half strokes with his approach game the last time that he played this contest. And this is historically coming from a player that is not good with his iron. So uh, that is an alarming statistic to throw out there for a golfer that did come in 12th place here in 2023. Do like what he provided at the RSM. Um, four consecutive top 35 finishes that he's put together. I am going to take a shot on Taylor Montgomery. I'm going to hope that he makes a bunch of putts here. I certainly understand the downside that the approach game brings to the mix, but a volatile player for me that I currently see at less than 5% ownership. And I like what he's put together recently. So this would probably be a spot. Like if I could, if I could directly pick who I wanted to throw in, like this would be where I would throw Nick Taylor into the mix. And I'd probably rather go that way. But with players being gone, you kind of have to pick and choose your spots here. So uh, I'll go with Taylor Montgomery. Yeah, I, again, I think you're rounding up your, your draft with a really savvy play. I think a, the the overwhelming narrative on Taylor Montgomery was that everyone was sort of like loved him at the beginning of the year and then just got absolutely off to him. And then just they got burned so many times with him that they've just got no faith in him whatsoever. So, I mean, I'm seeing 5% ownership myself at the moment, which I think is probably where he ends up falling. There's some really popular names around him and just above him, which I think are going to create um, or catch a lot of steam. And yeah, I think that the eighth place at the RSM Classic was um, a nice welcome return to form. He was 16th at the Zozo Championship just before that. And I mean, we saw what he did last year. He really started the year absolutely on fire. And although his like profile doesn't doesn't like indicate it, he's got a sneaky kind of course history at, at correlated courses. Sony Open 12th, RSM, he's now finished 15th and 8th. And El Camilleone last year, he was um, he was 10th as well. So, um, look, some really promising numbers coming out of Taylor Montgomery. Again, I think that he's perhaps a little bit sneaky. Um, and, yeah, I like, I like that play. I like getting a little bit different there. Very good. Finally, wrapping up my selections. We've already had Joel withdraw from the draft cast before it even started. And it would only be fitting to round out with the selection who is most likely to withdraw this week. But again, gives me plenty of ownership leverage and plenty of win equity. 
we have to take Hideki Matsuyama here, $9,000 at the, the end of the draft. I'm really surprised to see him at 8.7%. Um, I think that's an incredibly low number. Obviously, a lot of that's based off what we saw last week, but he's a past champion here, one in 2022. Before that, he was 19th, 12th. He's got a 10th place at Colonial. We know that what Hideki can come out and do. He's, he's a Masters champion. He's got the ability to come out and win this kind of golf course and um, we've seen it from him previously. I just love the ownership leverage that you're getting with Hideki. And if you're playing the GPP kind of lineup, if you've got a build like mine at the moment where you've got three guys who are going to be incredibly highly owned, someone like Hideki can be the guy who is the difference maker, comes out, suddenly wins the tournament against everyone's expectations, and you've got a ton of leverage there. So what say you, Spence? What are your thoughts on Hideki Matsuyama? I think specifically, we'll start with your build first. I think that's a very savvy way to try to round out a roster. You do have three very popular names to start. You have three names at the end. And I think Hideki can be the differentiating quality to that that can push you over the top. I gave the same answer to him at the Century last week. I think there's boomer bust potential every single time that he he's going to tee it up right now. I think that there's the downside that comes into play and he's probably overpriced at $9,000, but if nobody's going to want to play him, he is a past champion at this tournament. I think these are the, some of those situations where you do have to go against the grain and you do have to make gross decisions sometimes. So uh, I don't have a problem with him being in the player pool. I guess the one thing I would say to everybody out there is just be aware that he will have greater miscut potential than a lot of the names that we have talked about. But I also think his win equity is as high as a lot of those names too, if not greater than some of them. So, uh, you know, he's 20, he's like a quarter of the ownership of some of those names that are very similar quality players to him, according to my model. So I think it's a boomer bust play that with the exact build starting Connors and Henley, Hideki is the differentiator there. That's going to make it unique. Yeah, for sure. And look, I mean, I, I'm taking, like, we're obviously drafting or trying to draft, like, a GPP lineup that could go out and win, like, you know, one of the huge, large GPP contests. So my answer would be completely different if this was cash game. Like, I wouldn't be touching yes. Deki Matsuyama whatsoever, given what we saw last week, given his injury potential, given the fact that anytime he gets drafted, he seems to withdraw like immediately. Um, so I, I completely get that. My my answer would be very, very different for cash. But as you spoke about in GPP, I think he's an intriguing spot where you could get someone with genuine winning upside at extremely low ownership compared to everyone else on the board. Um, that is it for the draft. We've got a little bit of time left. So I will take down the draft board and Spence will go to you. Who this week is your surprising exclusion from the draft cast? Uh, for me, it would be, let me bring up my model very quickly. Um, I mean, JT Poston was not selected, correct? That's right. Yep. I would say probably JT Poston. I, I mean, he's a name that has had a lot of steam behind him. I think it's rightfully so. Um, as I keep saying, you're going to, there are, there are some good chalk and some bad chalk that's going to come from that $9,000 range. And I think you can pick a few one way and pick a few the other way and kind of uh, try to plant your flag in that situation. I would say Poston was probably the most surprising though, because I do have him as the fourth highest projected own golfer that didn't go off the board. And then honorary mention to Justin Rose at 8,200, because I kind of planned when I started this draft to take him and eat the chalk and uh, I didn't do it. The audience didn't do it. Don't know exactly where you stand on him, but I was surprised he was not selected at, at 8,200. Yeah, I think that's that's really fair. Obviously, I, I spoke already a little bit about JT Poston, but a lot of that answer came down to the fact that he is so highly owned and there's probably some different spots I can get. It's not that I dislike his chances here. I just think you need to build him in a very specific way. And um, yeah, I agree with Justin Rose. His course history here is immaculate. I think that he got, he got a lot better last week as well. I think he shot like a nine under in the final round. So, you know, he had a really big 2023 obviously won at pebble beach um it was a huge year if he's not practiced all that much over the off season he had a bit of rust to shake off comes out shoots a final round nine under don't mind that whatsoever it's kind of a similar story to andrew putnam he had two really bad rounds with the irons and then he was absolutely on fire in his third and fourth round with the irons and that was really 
uh, intriguing in terms of the leverage it created for me. So very similar answer to me uh, for Justin Rose. I, I do, uh, I, I'm surprised he wasn't taken because I, I do like him quite a lot this week as well. For me, it's Eric Cole. Yeah. Like what's happened to the, the Eric Cole steam? Like, I mean, this guy was like the hottest thing on planet Earth a while ago. I'm only seeing 13% ownership. He's after it goes, Matsuyama, Will Zalatoris, Eric Cole for the lowest ownership within that $9,000 range. And I find that really interesting. I just wonder if it's whether the price point's too much for people at 9700 whether they wanted him a bit cheaper. But Data Golf have him ranked as 15th in the world. They have him higher ranked than Russell Kenley at the moment in terms of his world rankings. He was absolutely on fire towards the end of last year, just rattling off top five so it was nothing else. He was a third at the RSM Classic, which who knows, highly correlated. I think that he's a really good chance this week. I'm just so surprised his ownership is where it is. I have him a little bit higher than you do. I mean, we'll see where this ends up landing. I have him at about 17.5% right now. Um, I think if it does trend more in your direction, and, and we'll see what ends up happening there, it's intriguing because he continues to be a massive underdog in every matchup, every single weekend. I don't know if it's that books haven't caught up to how good he actually is. I might have more concerns here than I would at a normal course, just because he's not good distance wise. He's not good accuracy wise. You do need to have one of those two answers. So if there was going to be a potential Eric Cole implosion spot, it might be here for me, but like he is so elite in the other parts of and portions of his game that um, the finishes that he's been providing are real. It's just, he does it in a different way than most people expect. And I think different than the bookmakers are necessarily placing their emphasis on. Well, let, let me ask you the, I guess, let me frame the question this way. Would you rather play Eric Cole at a course like Wileye or a course like Tory Pines? Because we let's like let's be honest we know that the driver is the weakest portion of his game right like he's not long and he's not actually that overly accurate either the the driver is something he does really need to work out if he's going to contend at some of these big boy tournaments but for me i wonder if wildlife somewhere where the drive like it's the the largest deviation from standard driving distance of any stop on the pga tour right so that suggests to me that their players are often clubbing down because they can and they can find a bit of safety away from these tree-lined fairways and some pretty thick three-inch bermuda rough they've grown it out the last couple of years and i wonder if that perhaps for me suggests he'd be better at, at somewhere like here compared to true pines but i'd be interested in your answer on that it's so there was a really long time and and this is a poor answer that I'm going to give because I'm about to name a golfer that is accurate off the tee. But there was a really long time that my model always thought that Brian Harmon, when you threw him on a really long test that demanded a driver, he actually got better in those venues. So uh, maybe it's different for Cole here for the reasons that you said that he's not necessarily producing in either one of those two areas. And of course, like Tory Pines might just hurt him and doesn't help. He does have the weight of proximity that you would want here. He has the putting acumen that he brings to the table. I, I guess I would lean on your side being the correct answer, just because if you take him to one of these big boy courses, maybe he does run into problems. And I don't view Kapalua even with it having all the distance that it did. That's just such a wide open test and, and all the little runoffs that you get and all, and all, everything that happens there. Like, I don't know if that's a true lengthy test at the end of the day. So I probably agree with you. I, I still don't know if I necessarily love this venue for him, but yeah, if I'm comparing those two venues with each other, I'd probably lean that I'd rather play him here. Yeah, for sure. I, I think he did get better as the week went on as well, right? Like, I mean, he had a, a seven under in the, the second round and then close with the eight under in the fourth round as well. So there was some improvement as the week went on with through him. And I just think he's potentially an interesting spot. And, and there was like, after Ludwig Aberg, it was the, the most popular golf in the world. It seemed to be Eric Cole for quite some time there. So I'm just very surprised we haven't got there at yeah. the end. But we're not done yet. Last week, I hit Sahith Tagala. Had three first-round leader picks, 60-1. to one. He was the first man in my list last week and uh, came up and gave us a huge winner. So we'll get into the first-round leader picks and we'll start with you, Spence. Where are we looking on the board have you done your homework this week, first off? 
Well, there does seem to be a substantial weather advantage that could be coming into play right now. So I would like to see exactly what's going on. I do think with the potential that winds pick up in the afternoon and the softer conditions that likely will hit for the morning on Thursday. I think that's where you ideally want to have your players this week. I took Brian Harmon at 40 to one. That's the only ticket that I have punched so far. I'll let you tell me who you're on, but I, I, this is not a market in general that I ever have much exposure to. For sure. And I mean, other than the fact that, that we hit the winner last week and we always yeah. hit these every single week and you should probably put your mortgage on it. Um, I agree. First round leader picks, I would never regard them as like an official bet because it's such a volatile market. The numbers that you get are generally dreadful. There's much better opportunities, I think, in terms of savvy, positive EV plays that you can find in the golf betting markets other than first round leaders. So I completely agree with that. Other than it's a complete lock and we're definitely going to hit the winner this week and you should probably take out several mortgages. Um, if you've already got a mortgage, just ask for another mortgage, you know, and just put both of them on the first round leader plays. I think that's that's the correct answer. But other than that, um, I agree. It is extremely volatile. I've actually, I've got five this week, but they were all extremely long odds. They're all 50 to one or longer. I agree. The weather looks absolutely horrific in the afternoon. We've had a lot of rain this week. The morning could well end up being better with calmer conditions and really soft conditions. Not saying that it's going to going to firm up as the day goes on because it does look like there's even more rain than forecast Thursday. I just think that those lighter winds in the morning makes it extremely preferable. So I've got five and I'll go longest to shortest. You can get Zach Blair at 160 to one. I think that's really intriguing at a huge number to come out and spike a first round leader. Aaron Rye at 75 to one. I have that as one of the best values on the board for first round leader markets. That seems a gross overprice uh, for him. Andrew Putnam, you can get at 71 over at Fangio. Again, Andrew Putnam really improved towards his uh, on the weekend last week at the Century. At a golf course, that really should not suit him all that well. He finds himself in a much better spot here. 71 looks like a great number. Alex Noren, if it is going to be windy, Alex Noren is one of the best win players in the game. 66 to 1. I may even end up adding a ticket on him in outright markets just because of the weather that is coming in and his history here. 66 to 1 for first round leader there. And then shortest for me, Brennan Todd, 50 to 1, I think is a really good number on Brennan Todd. Getting longer on him in the first round leader market than you are in the outright markets at the moment where I've seen him sort of at the 45 to, to 40 to 1 kind of mark. So I think that's an option there. As always, CNHR will be over on Win Daily Sports in the Discord for his very, very sharp first round lead picks. Looks like he's dropping a couple of them early. So he's got two first round leaders now, two to three later. And let me just see where they have gone. I saw him post it. Ah, here we go. Two first round leaders, Vincent 65 to one. And looks like we're both on Andrew Putnam at 71. I think we agree that that's a, a very, very sharp number there. But his absolute lock play will be confirmed in the Win Daily Discord. If you haven't already, jump into the description. We've got our best ever deal still running. Usual price for an annual membership is $450. At the moment, you can get it for $240 for 2024. 12 months of Win Daily membership. That's not just golf, that's all the sports that we cover. As I said last week, we had a massive week. We hit Thagala at 60 to 1 um, in terms of first round leader, but we also had Thagala in second. It, he was priced at 80 to 1. We had third, fifth, 12th. Step Striker got us a top 20 ticket as well. So it was a huge rig in terms of returns. You will easily make up that $240 and some. If you'd followed all of my picks last year, you would have made over $10,000 using just $10 a unit. So it is the best value in all sports for all of the access you get. You get to speak with us directly, one-on-one, -on -one, get coaching, ask us direct questions on lineup builds, on bets, on our thinking. We can actually coach you and train you into some of the aspects that we look at in terms of markets. So very, very good value. Make sure that you take advantage of that. One final thing as well is one and done begin this week. Huge, huge one and done season we've seen so much steam growing in these contests spence i know that you're in a few of them at the moment um i saw you posting about one earlier um that was trying to fill up 150 dollars entry in a huge one and done contest and i've written perhaps the most comprehensive ultimate one and done guide that you have ever seen 6500 words i'm still recovering my wrists have developed permanent RSI as a re result of putting that that um, together. That article was completely free. You can find it over on my Twitter at Deep Dive Golf. But 
not only do I give you some one and done strategy um, in terms of what you can expect from the season, the way you should perhaps approach some of these situations, but I go through every single tournament that features in the regular one and done season. I give you a short preview of what the course is, what sort of player it's going to suit, and three names that you can potentially consider to deploy in one and done. So it can really map out your entire one and done season. So head over to my my Twitter account and uh, make sure that you read that article for free before all those contests start this Thursday. That just about does it. Spence, you got anything to say or add before we wrap up here? I'll double down on, on Sia's comment on Svensson at 65 to 1. I believe that's over on FanDuel currently. That seems to be the best price in the space by quite a substantial margin. That's We'll add that as a second one. So Harmon and Svensson for me. Uh, that way we each have a piece of what Sia has put out there also. And that's always a wise wise decision because we know how hot that Sierra is with these first round leader picks. He's perhaps the hottest guy in the market. Um, Sia asks if it's pinned on my Twitter. It is. It's pinned at the top of my Twitter at the moment. Um, Sia very kindly said that it is the best one done guide that he's ever read. So he may be some insider trading there. Um, I did perhaps pay him to say that, but very kindly um, said what an excellent article it was. So it is pinned over my Twitter. So jump over there. Other than that, there's only one thing left to do, and that's sports.